Welcome to another episode of E-Commerce on Tap, brought to you by Sourceify. I'm your host, Nathan Resnick. Please like and subscribe. We're super excited for today's guest, and here we go. Today we have Jack, the founder of DuraDry. This is one of the coolest e-commerce brands I've seen in a while. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, brother. I want to start by learning more about you and your backstory. How did you get into e-commerce? Tell us really a bit about yourself. Yeah, it's super obvious path in my case. I moved from Venezuela nine years ago and down there still we think about businesses in, in a traditional way. But when I came to the States, it was obvious that it was impossible to think about business that way. Meaning in Venezuela, for example, you would say, okay, I want to distribute office supplies. You can't do that in the States. I think right. it's taken by big corporations. So the only path that I saw and the easiest path was to go into the permission world, which is direct to consumer. So that's why and that way. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Is this your first time founding a business or it sounds like you've been oh, an entrepreneur for yeah. a while, almost your whole life. So I'm curious, what uh, did you do before and how did you come across the, the products that you've launched at Dirt? How did you end up developing the products? Yeah, yeah. Fun fact, I've never had a job. Wow, there you go. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I've never worked anywhere except for myself. And at this point, I would say spoiled to the point that I don't understand what working on a schedule means. Of course, right. you're my first call and it's 10 a.m. Eastern time. What people don't know is that maybe I stayed up till 1 a.m. in the morning doing stuff, right? For the business. But going back to your question, dude, it's a founder market fit. I right. used to sweat a lot. I see the problem very clearly. I know a lot of people that has it and they just hide it very well. So I want to prove that there's a huge market that's hidden in plain sight and I'm going for it. What were some of the that you launched before? Were they also e-commerce oriented or were you more like you mentioned distribution? I love that you've never had a kind of real quote unquote real job either because I haven't too. I've always been a founder and always run my own businesses and it's a incredible journey to yeah. be on. So I'm curious, what other businesses, kind of businesses have you started? The mm -hmm. States, dude, like I've had an Amazon brand that did drinkware products like protein shakers, mm. stainless steel tumbler and all that. I had an Amazon store that did diagnostic test kits, pregnancy, mm. ovulation, ketone, pH, a bunch of that. I've had two or three Amazon stores doing arbitrage from mm -hmm. Walmart to Amazon. All right. of that kind of just during the time it worked. Uh, DuraDry, I also have another GTC company that I developed on the side, but I just realized I don't have time. Because of DuraDry, I'm looking for a co-founder there. If yeah. you know anybody, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. So leading up to launching DuraDry, how did you go about the product development process? Because it's such a unique product. The branding is so well done and your website is just really clean. I really like your website. So I'm curious, walk us through the product development process. And what does that look like when you go to launch your own e-commerce? Yeah. Product development where you're going to launch your own e-commerce brand. So it's so different in every category. Let's say in the category of durable goods or mm. apparel or whatnot, the typical routing in my experience is you've tried to domestically or in China, Sourceify for sure knows better mm -hmm. about this. Kind of try to curate those factories to make sure that they're gonna, they're gonna do well by you, make good product, not gonna right. F you with the pricing, et cetera. Right. Quality is very important. As samples from 
everyone analyze the samples, iteration with only two or three suppliers, and then you rinse and repeat until you hone into one supplier. So that's a typical route. In care, it's slightly different, anything that needs to be formulated, because it's a process of much more in-depth iteration. Right. Hey, this ingredient is causing white stains on the shirt. We have to remove mm -hmm. it. Then this right. other ingredient is blocking this other thing, and it's creating a very thick formula versus a runny formula. So you have to change so much until you actually find it. And sometimes that takes years. Like, I'm not going to tell you that our products are perfect. What I can tell you is that they're much better than they were when we first started. So it's iteration. If you can summarize this, is iteration. That's the key word here. Yeah, iteration, I think, is so important to product development. And the product that you launch with isn't going to be the product that you end up with because you're always making your product better. And it's this constant evolution of working with your supplier, working with the right formulations, the scientists, all of that. It really can take a while to get that yeah. so much back and forth. And I guess one of the questions that I have, when you go to that launch phase, you've got your samples, you maybe got your first purchase order done. How do you test your product? How do you start getting your brand out there? And a lot of our listeners want to start their own e-commerce brand. And one of the hardest parts is actually how do you build an audience and launch your brand and start getting sales? Okay. Just that there are so many questions in that huge yeah. question. So how do I test the products? At this point, we make a super small batch. I don't know. 20 to 30 units. I know very well our biggest critics because they email me, post on social, like very vocal. So I know them, I have lists of these customers and I invite them to test our new formulas and help us inform what we need to improve. So I think that's part A. Part B, when it comes to mass production, I would say the following, and I'm sure that you're gonna agree with me, Nathan. No matter how much time you spend meticulously inspecting your product right. make sure that everything is perfect before mass production there will always be an issue when you mass produce for the first time maybe second right the issue might be small hey the label the color of the label is slightly off compared to the packaging so next time we have to and sometimes it's much bigger totally there's yeah. a quality issue because when you take this bottle it's right. beautiful, it's great, but you drop it by, from four feet high and it shatters. The plastic combination, because plastics sometimes are a mix, a blend, had a little more of this that makes it more brittle. So I would recommend going or reducing the MOQs as much as you can, even if you have to pay more right. to test not only your market, but also to test the product itself. Totally. Hey, if you're going to sell a product, let's say for 10 bucks and you need it to cost you, I don't know, $2 and maybe to reduce an MOQ, you're going to have to buy it at five or six. Do mm -hmm. it. Do right. It. Yeah. Then you'll figure yeah, it out. I, yeah. And the keys here, like you said, iterate and test are so important. You got to iterate when you're developing the product. You got to test when you're launching the product to see what really works. Because the worst case scenario, and I know so many e-commerce founders, they want to go big when they're starting, but it's not the right mindset. You don't want to go big right when you're placing your first PO because all of a sudden you're going to have so much inventory and there might yeah. be certain parts of the product you want to change or certain yeah. things on the label or packaging you want to change. And when you have a big PO right off the bat, you know, you can't just change those products. And so you see so many first time founders falling into this trap of thinking, oh, I got to go big to really get going. But really, like you're saying, I think it's a super smart, like you said, to not completely focus on the gross margin right off the bat when you're starting, because 
once you have the product and once you have customers that love your product, you're going to be able to grow more and more. And so now I want to talk to you more about kind of the scale phase, because right now the e-commerce environment, it's pretty tricky. Everything yeah. that happened with iOS 14, it's hard to just launch ads on Facebook and Instagram or TikTok, whatever it may be. How do you go about growing a brand in today's environment from a digital marketing perspective? What kind of avenues do you think a brand that's maybe gotten that glimpse of product market fit and now they need to grow their audience? What route do you see a lot of success in? Yeah. I think to keep things super sincere and honest, I don't think that I'll figure it out. I'm still figuring it out. Mm. Okay. But this is my two cents about it. So I think that you have to be on Amazon as a direct -to consumer brand, no matter what you sell, unless you sell like customizable product, which mm. is a different story. Right. Whatever you sell, you have to be on Amazon and you have to understand Amazon, the tiers of shipping to reduce the weight and all these tricks. But generally speaking, Amazon is going to have a very unit economics for you because purchase intent is very high on Amazon. Right. So your customer acquisition cost is going to be on the lower side of your mm. website, 100% be on Amazon. The second thing for the website is that you need to understand your numbers. I know that it sounds cliche, but basically it's as simple as, Hey, let's measure our LTV, our one year LTV. Let's start with right. one year LTV. There's so many apps to help you do this. There's lifetimely, there's peel. Resource medium, there's so many. And lifetime is super cheap. I think it's 50 bucks. So there's no excuse. And you need to understand that LTV for at least a year. And if you don't have that data, maybe six months, okay? Once you understand that LTV uh, multiplied by your contribution margin, contribution mm. margin is basically uh, not only the cost of goods sold, but also pick and pack, shipping, right. processing, all that. Contribution margin on that sale, you sell $100, margin is 60 let's say, so $60. So your customer acquisition cost shouldn't be more than 60 bucks and it should be considerably less depending on your overhead. Mm -hmm. So you put a target, let's say your target is 40, just to make that up. So then that's your new focus. How do right. I get a $40 acquisition cost? Mm -hmm. You have to be very strict, don't count returning customer, maybe get an attribution tool like Northbeam, there are many out there to make sure that you're measuring each channel the right way. And even if it's not the right way, just focus on the blended to be that 40. Sometimes you won't know exactly where that conversion is coming from. Maybe it's showing like it's coming from Google. Mm. You turn off YouTube and the conversion starts to drop because mm -hmm. Google was just at the bottom of the funnel catching all those and YouTube was at the top. So right. you have to play with that marketing mix Yeah, and focus on that blended to be 40. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I really enjoy how you broke down the numbers and got into the specifics. And I feel like a lot of people believe and think that they have to either choose going the Shopify route or the Amazon route and already said, look, try to target both, do both because it's so important to be cross channel in this environment, which I think is really yeah. important. And like you said, on Amazon, what people don't realize is it's search driven. So it's going to drive higher conversions because people are already searching for products that you're targeting from a keyword perspective. Whereas from a Shopify perspective, most of your traffic's coming across social media, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And that's more kind of you're pushing content out there. They aren't actually searching for that specific product. And so I think like Correct. you said, it's such a different dynamic, really trying to focus on which avenue to take. And I think it's great as an e-commerce brand to try to target both early on. And with that, a lot of people will ask, how do I launch on Shopify and launch on Amazon? Because I think inventory is one of the biggest challenges when you're trying to do both. So I'm curious, how do you manage inventory when you're on both Amazon and selling through your own Shopify site? 
Yeah, manage inventory from a financial point of view because I need to hold more inventory just from a technical point of view. Because most of the time you're probably shipping products into an FBA warehouse and then on Shopify, I assume you either have your own warehouse or you don't work with a 3PL. So already you have a product in two different locations. Yes, yes. We hold product at three different locations. Soon it's going to be at four, one being FBA. Another one being our, let's say, centralized facility where we receive all the bulk right. from everywhere. We mm -hmm. have to reroute stuff. And then fulfillment center or partner just to take care of everything from the website. All orders from the website. The truth is that I've been looking for a software to do this. I've been able to, to find mm -hmm. one. Like literally, Nathan, I yeah. just posted on e-commerce fuel. Yeah. Two minutes ago. Just before we started a call, yeah. I posted, hey, anyone can help me with this because right. they Simple Shopify apps are great, but they don't connect to Amazon FBA. And if they don't connect to Amazon FBA, then it ruins the whole, the whole purpose of using an app because the whole point is to know how much you have everywhere, know the cost of that, and then take the inventory turnover number from Amazon, also get the one from Shopify, put them together, and then calculate your days of inventory because that's what you use to then know when to reorder exactly but going back to the things it's not a solution and then you have a skew banner since seven all that and i'm not gonna pay a thousand plus bucks to replace google Sheets. right exactly yeah it's crazy in some sense like you said it's challenging for an e-commerce brand to run across channels like you're doing right now and a lot of these software tools that try to make it simpler they are very expensive and you're swapping out Google Sheets for this tool. And it's almost similar. It can be compared to a tool like Northbeam or these ad tracking platforms that try to give you the blended ROAS very effectively. And you could pretty much do that in a Google Sheet and just pull that data from Facebook ads or Google ads or whatever, mm -hmm. and then calculate your blended ROAS that way. But these software tools, they try to make it easier, but some of them are pretty expensive. So I think you gotta really oh, justify. No, I agree with you, but with one caveat, there's some analytic tools that mm -hmm. blend everything and you can do it on Excel. But just to be clear, Northbeam, Rockerbox, and some of these attribution yeah. tools that focus on attribution, right. leveraging tech to help you understand better your number, right. because maybe Facebook says that you're converting at 30 bucks, right. the reality is that you're actually converting at 90 and it's just tricking in a very legal way. So they have a disclaimer, hey, this conversion data is modeled, it's not right. real. So they're honestly just tricking it. Yeah, it's hard to rely on Facebook ads dashboard in today's world. And I think that's why Northbeam and these other tools has become so popular in the e-commerce world because they really give you more accurate data. And as an e-commerce brand, you have to rely on the data. That's the key right yeah. there. It's the data. If you want to scale. It's is not the same pushing more spend on Facebook, right. giving you 30 buck conversions. Right. Uh, yeah. I have a question. This is more general founder, but we talked a lot about scale and we talked a lot about you know, how do you go from starting to scaling? Do you think as a founder, your goal should be to scale and you really need to grow big? Is there a size in a business where you're like, okay, this is great. This is the size of business I want. Or do you think as a founder, you should always be pushing the ball forward. I always want to go to the moon. I feel like that's just internally. For me personally, I've questioned that a lot. Do I need to continue to go push towards the moon or can I be happy where I'm at and have a great medium SMB type of business? Yeah, I always think about that every single day. Why? Because I see there are two paths, Nathan. Path number one is you raise capital and you try to shoot for the moon. You have to understand what it means for your life. It's a very personal decision. It depends on your age, how much money you need to burn on a monthly basis 
for living expenses with a family and all that. Right. So sometimes it's just not feasible. You need to understand your situation. Mm -hmm. It just makes two different concepts that I wanted to convey. But basically, if you raise capital, you have to go for the moon because A, your VCs are going to push you for that. Right. B, because you're getting diluted. C, because mm -hmm. there are some liquidation preferences that have been placed. There's so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't raise capital and you bootstrap it, I don't know if you're doing that, but I'm certainly like bootstrap. Mm -hmm then it's a different model right. and I'm currently in the middle and I need to decide in the middle. What does that mean? Right. It means that I'm pushing for growth as much as mm -hmm. I can, but I need profit. Right. Okay. I am paying for the pride mm -hmm. because I bootstrap as much as I could right. and I've basically financed the operation, not the operation, but like my time, right. my effort, mm -hmm. which is worth has an economic value right. as a founder. Yeah. Opportunity yeah. cost. As opportunity goes elsewhere. Right. It's bad to be stuck in right. the middle because you're growing, not being profitable, right. but at the same time, no, no strategic investor is going to purchase your business right. because it's too small. Right. And that's where the big money is. Yeah. Say, in my case, for Procter & Gamble to buy my right. business, I will need to be on a revenue of at least 30 million. Mm -hmm. And for them to say, okay, I see future right. there. But if not, then I think we're better off pushing for a natural growth, right. bringing home a few hundred thousand or a few million mm -hmm. bucks, run it for a few years, right. accumulate a few million right. bucks, then sell it to a PE for a normal multiple. And you know, you're a million, right. you're not a hundred million dollar. Right. You're a 10 to $15 million. Exactly. Yeah. It just depends what you want and what you want to do. And if you want to go the path of raising and growing and oftentimes burning money, or if you want more sustainable type of growth. So it's an interesting discussion to have as a founder and it's something that I think about a lot. Jack, as we wrap up here, a question that I ask, which is the last question I ask, and it's a bit of a hard one, makes you think a bit, but what is one question that I didn't ask that you wish I had asked? And then I'm going to ask you to answer that question. And so it could be anything of, it could be anything that comes to mind, ideally something e-commerce related, but what's that one question? Yes. Why would it require, and this is a question that I wish you reply you can respond okay. to everyone what's required to convince american companies to start sourcing their products from other friendly mm -hmm. countries instead of yeah. china it's a good question i may think number one the margin and cost has to be there so it has to either be on par or just a little bit higher than china and this could be landed costs so including the tariff and freight and all that landed cost. I agree with you. Par. What do you think the difference is in cost that the Delta needs to be? I think the Delta needs to be within five or so percent around that. And I think most countries can get there, but I think the challenge that a lot of e-commerce brands has is number one, finding a supplier that matches the capabilities of their Chinese supplier. Does that supplier source the raw materials locally in their area or do they have raw materials coming from China or Asia as well. So I think that's a really good question. I think a lot of production has been moving to Latin America and Mexico, but at the same time, it's, I think, challenging to find a factory there because there's nothing like a big open marketplace so like Alibaba or Global Sources. And there's also not a lot of sourcing agents there that help e-commerce brands. Yeah. And the language barrier and the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. There's so much going back to what you were saying. I think as an e-commerce brand, I would say the Delta has to be maximum of pricing, maximum 15%, ideally five, as you said, and I would compensate that in my mind 
uh, hey, I'm going to have a shorter cash conversion right. cycle because my lead time is going to be shorter. Maybe I need to raise right. capital. Maybe I don't need to get loans. The cost of that capital, 1% to 1.5% a month mm -hmm. save on that. Made in USA has an added bonus, especially if you're going to right. export. And honestly, just love for this country yeah. points. Yeah. I think that we need to be a little bit more realistic without bringing bad associations of other nationalistic movements. Nationalistic in the sense of, hey, I prefer to give business to right. my people right. than to China. Totally. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was a good question. Jack, thanks for coming on e-commerce on tap. If anyone listening wants to get in touch, where can they find you? Are you on Twitter or LinkedIn or what? what's the best way to get in touch? Yes, I'm on Twitter, Jack. Why BS in boy HS in Holland? And um, that's awesome. My Sounds good. Jack, thanks again for coming on e commerce on tap brought to you by SourceFi. It was great chatting. Likewise, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to e commerce on tap brought to you by SourceFi. If you could like and subscribe, we'd greatly appreciate it. And please keep an eye out for our next episode.